You know, there's two things that um, Jesus asked us to do as Christians. There's a lot of things we do as Christians that we kind of add to the list. You know, churches do lots of stuff, but there are really only two things that Jesus really asked that we would do in terms of things together as a church. And one of those we did last week, it was communion, the Lord's Supper. Jesus said this, he took the bread, he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you, this do in what? Remembrance of me. So what do we do at least once a month as a church family? We have communion, right? We share the Lord's Supper. We do it because Jesus asked us to do it in remembrance of him until that day where we're with him and we don't have to do it down here anymore. We're in his presence. But he said, do it to remember and remember that his body was broken. So the bread symbolizes his body and the cup symbolizes his blood that was shed. So we do that because he asked us to. And for 2000 years, the church has been doing the first thing, which is sharing communion together and churches all around the world do that. Wherever you go, where there's Christian churches gathered, you'll see them doing communion, the Lord's Supper. What's the second thing he asked us to do? The second thing he asked us to do is what? Water baptism. We don't do water baptism because we thought it'd be cool to take people and dunk them under water. I mean, it seems kind of weird in one way. Why do, why do we do water baptism? I mean, we're Christians. We're a follower of Jesus Christ. Why do we take time to do water baptism? And the reason we do is because he asked us to. Jesus came to them, the disciples, after he rose from the dead. And he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of the nation. Doing what? Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So his two commands to us that the church has followed for the last 2,000 years, one is to share the Lord's Supper together, often in remembrance of him. And the second thing is to do water baptism, to make disciples and then have them baptized in water. That's what the early church did, didn't they? The first day of the church... Peter preached a pretty awesome sermon under the power of the Holy Spirit. And that first day, how many people became Christians? The answer is up on the screen. 3,000. Can you imagine that? How exciting that had to be? He preaches this message. 3,000 people come streaming towards him, Richard, and he's trying to decide, what are we going to do? 3,000 people just accepted Christ. And not only did they accept Christ, what happened to him that day? Three thousand they were baptized. You imagine three thousand baptisms? I think there's six people getting baptized this morning. You imagine Ben trying to baptize three thousand? We'd be here for a long time, but it'd be exciting. Would you stick around for that? Well, I would. Imagine the, the joy of and that first day of the church, I mean it just exploded, it just took off. And so since that time For the last 2,000 years on planet Earth, there's people called Christians who have been getting baptized. All around the world, wherever you go, there are people who are 
being baptized. And we'll talk about what it means. But the fact that we're doing a baptismal service here today, do you think there's any other baptisms happening around the world? I wish we had a link through the internet somehow and we could look in and have them all up on on a Facebook site. You know, here's all the baptisms happening in all around the world. In every country, every nation, every tribe, it's happening. In fact, in that bottom picture right there, that's a baptism in Russia. Those are young people. And yes, that is snow and ice at their feet. They had to cut a hole into the uh, lake, frozen lake, to uh, be able to get down into the water, it looks like there, but that is snow and ice. Uh, that's commitment. But people for 2,000 years have been doing that. Um, I remember when I got baptized. How many remember when you got baptized that day? Look at all the hands. Special day, right? And I've done a lot of baptisms over the years. I've baptized people in baptismal tanks in churches. Uh, I baptized people in the Skagit River. That was a cold one. I baptized our kids out at the Hope Island in Puget Sound. And that was a cold one. Great place to be baptized, you know, Hope Island. It just fits, doesn't it? We had a baptism out there one time, see if it was a storm and the wind was raging. And I talked to the people, I said, you sure you want to get baptized today? Yeah, we want to do it. So we literally have a picture. I think it was Dave Shy, wasn't it? And he's standing in the water and the waves are literally breaking over his head. The wind is driving the the seawater sideways and we're out there and he goes under and he came up just so excited, just praising God. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I've done a lot of different places and there's usually always something memorable about a baptism. One I'll never forget. I was an associate pastor with this older uh, pastor uh, named uh, George Simonson. Thank you. And, uh, I'm getting old. I can't remember George's name. George was about 80. He had pastored for hundreds of years. And, <laughs> and he let me come alongside as his associate. I think I was about 25. And uh, we planned a baptismal service. And Pastor Simonson had a, uh, a brother or brother-in-law who had a heated pool because this was in January. And I said, where are we going to do a baptism in January? We didn't have a tank in the church. He said, my brother-in-law has a heated pool and right next to the heated pool is this room that's heated so the people can go out and get in the heated pool, be baptized, come up and go back into the room and be warm. And everybody watching can look out through the window because there's a big glass window. Renee was there. And, uh, and so I said, I don't work. So it's January. It's probably about 28 degrees. I mean, it's cold. And uh, we get to the baptismal place and we go in this nice heated room and, and everybody's excited. The people getting baptized are excited. And I decided I better go out and see how warm the water is because I'm going in with Pastor Simonson to help baptize. And I go out there, put my hand, and it's cold. It's frozen. It's almost ice. His brother-in-law forgot to turn the heater on. (laughs) So what do you do? You got all the church family there, the people to be baptized in a a pool that's practically ice. And and, uh, Pastor Simonson, he was prepared. He had these overalls. Uh, you know, like waders when you go fishing, except he, he had them painted black so they looked like slacks, you know. And he took them out of the bag and they crinkled as he got them out and they looked like 100 years old, you know, and they, and they were all cracked, but he's pulling them on. And he had hurt his foot. He had an operation on his foot, I think it was, his toe. And he had his toe wrapped in plastic. He had his waders on 
course, I'm 25. I'm just in shorts. I don't need no waders. But in ice water, I'm thinking maybe that wouldn't have been a bad idea. So, so we decided, I guess we're just going to have to do it. You know, people, you know, we're here. So we get out to the edge of the pool, and, and Pastor Simons and I are going into this pool, and it's got steps on one end. And I'm holding his arm because he's 80 years old, and we're going in, down these steps into a pool, and we're stepping in. All of a sudden, his eyes got real big. He squeezed my arm. He said, pray for me, brother. I said, what's wrong? They leak. <laughs> his eyes were this big. <laughs> and we got in there, and they filled all the way up on him. But we're in there to do the baptism, and you know, we're here, so we're going to do it. So the first lady comes down, and she gets that water, and all of a sudden, she can't get her breath. Just... <gasps> And, and I literally thought we were going to do a funeral and baptism because she, you know how cold water just takes your breath away. And she was just shaking. And I, we did it real quick in the name of Father, Son, up and out and back. And we got through them. And then we got, how are we going to get Pastor Simonson out of the water? He's full of water. So we got a couple of big guys, Steve, and we each got an arm and we drug him out. <laughs> kind of dumped him upside down, got the water. So you never know what's going to happen at a baptism. And, but the exciting thing was there was, I think, six or seven people that day who were just so excited. They went through the cold water, but they came out just excited and uh, rejoicing uh, the fact that they were able to take the plunge literally for Jesus. So water baptisms are exciting. That's what we're going to do today. Uh, let me take a look at one baptism in the Bible just to kind of prepare us for what we're going to be doing and this baptism uh, really starts in Acts 8.1 because there was a persecution of that early church. Remember all the people got baptized and, and the church was growing while the, uh, Paul and, uh, or Saul and some of the uh, um, Jewish leaders didn't like that. So they started to persecute the church. You remember Stephen was stoned and left and died. And it says when that persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So all the believers were scattered. And that was the end of the church, right? When you scatter believers, the church goes away, right? No, they were scattered. And because of the scattering, the church grew. Remember the Holy Spirit was promised. And he says, you'll have power to be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem. Then where? Judea and Samaria. That's where they went. And where's the last place? the outermost parts of the world, even to the ends of the world, even to Sudowoli, Washington. I mean, that's the gospel has spread. But because of the persecution, the believers were spread into Judea and Samaria. And when believers go somewhere, they take their faith. These are new, born again, excited, freshly baptized believers. They're spread out. And one of them is up in Samaria. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and preached the Christ there. In a city in Samaria, the Christ there. It says he preached about Christ there. But Philip went to Samaria. He preached about Christ there. This wasn't Philip the disciple. This was uh, uh, one of the, another follower of Jesus. Uh, the disciples, apostles were still in Jerusalem, but the church was scattered. Philip goes to Samaria. Philip starts preaching about Christ there, and there's a great revival. People in Samaria start coming to the Lord. People in Samaria start getting baptized. Peter and John heard about it, and they said, we got to go to Samaria and see what's happening. And they said, yeah, 
God's doing a cool thing in Samaria. And Philip was excited because he was preaching the word, people getting saved, people getting baptized. And right at the peak of what God was doing, all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the desert. Ever have that happen? You're doing something, you feel like it's what you're doing, all of a sudden God says, go to the desert. (laughs) Or go do this. Or go do that. In fact, I don't think Philip probably would have went because unless God really impressed upon him that he was supposed to do it. And how did he depress upon it? An angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the desert. You know, if an angel of the Lord comes to you, Frank, and says, go do something, you're probably going to do it, right? (laughs) Even though it may not make sense. But God, it doesn't make sense. We got revival here in Samaria, and you're saying go to the desert? There's nobody out in the desert but sand. Maybe a camel or two, you know, who, there's nothing out there. But an angel said, go to the desert. Go from Jerusalem out into Gaza, out into the wilderness. God knew what he was doing. Because he got up and he went. And there he met an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasury. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning home, sitting in his chariot, reading the prophet Isaiah. So Philip went. He's going down this desert road. Okay, got him on the desert. There's nothing out here in the desert. And all of a sudden he looks up in the distance and there's a chariot. And the chariot's getting closer. And it turns out the chariot in the chariot is one of the officials from, from the queen of Ethiopia, which is down in Africa. And as that guy's coming, um, it turns out that he had gone to Jerusalem because he was interested in finding out about God. And he was there uh, to worship, but he didn't really know about Jesus and and he was trying to understand the Bible. And, and God sent Philip out into that desert for one person. God cares not much. And here's the scene. The desert, the chariot's coming, Philip's looking. And all of a sudden, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Who told Philip to go to the chariot? The spirit, the Holy Spirit. To get to him into the desert, it was an angel who had to talk to him to convince him. Now it's the spirit. Have you ever had the spirit of God tell you to go do something? It's not a voice, you know, David, go do this. It's, a vo- it's just inside. You just feel like God wants me to go do this. And sometimes it's not something that you really want it to do or something that's natural, but it's something God wants you to do. Listen to that voice when God says, go, go. And God said to Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot. I, I, got, I wish I had that scene on video. This guy's riding along in his chariot, you know, reading the book of Isaiah. All of a sudden he looks up, here's this crazy guy running towards him, you know. And all of a sudden, the guy's running alongside the chariot with him. You know, the first marathon runner out there. And he's running along. I'm sure the uh, Ethiopian guy, who is this guy? You know, running along my chariot. You know, and, and um, as he's running, the Ethiopian's reading out loud. Because Philip heard him reading Isaiah. And he's running alongside him. And, and Philip, prompted by the Spirit, say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? It's a good opening, isn't it? If someone's reading the Bible and they don't understand it, you ask him, do you understand what you're reading in the Bible? And, and uh, the, the guy said, yeah. I, no, he didn't say, yeah. What he said is, how can I? 
unless someone explains it to me. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that aren't Christians because they don't understand what it means to be a Christian. They got this idea to be a Christian is you just have to follow all these rules. You have to cut things off and you have to change the way you do life. And it's not about that at all. It's about a relationship with Christ. And then he works from the inside out. And this Ethiopian, he said, I don't know, I'm reading Isaiah. You know, it says probably Isaiah 53. You know, he was bruised for our trans- uh, iniquities. He was bruised for our transgressions. He laid the, the sin of us all on him. And, you know, the, the, the shepherd and the sheep uh, passage in Isaiah that's talking about Christ. And by his stripes were healed. And, and, and the Ethiopian said, how can I? And then someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Isn't that cool? The angel says, go to the desert. He goes to the desert. Why am I in the desert? He sees a chariot. The spirit says, go stand, go run alongside that chariot. As he's run alongside, he's now invited into the guy's house, if you will. And now they're out in the desert riding along. They got a Bible in front of them. And he has a guy that's interested in what it means. That's a cool place to be. And as they're riding along, it says, if I can go back here. Philip began at the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He took him from the Old Testament and brought him to the New Testament. He took him from the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 to the suffering Christ on the cross who died and rose again. And he told him the good news about Jesus. And then the cool thing is that as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. Wait a second, I thought they were in the desert. And now there's water? God has a ways and means committee, right? When God wants to do something, he has things prepared. And there's things out in the desert that starts as an O. What do they call them? Oasis. And what's in an oasis? Water and palm trees and, you know, cool stuff. And so they were traveling along. I'm sure uh, Philip had told Ethiopian, yeah, what you need to do, you know, is ask Christ into your life. And then once you've uh, done that, then you need to be baptized to let people know you're a Christian. And we had a big baptism up in uh, Jerusalem, 3,000 people on the first day, by the way, and up in Samaria. And so he explained that to them. And as he went along, they came to an oasis and Enoch said, look, water. He's excited. What prevents me from being baptized? That's a good question, isn't it? What prevents just anybody out there from being baptized? Why doesn't everybody just get baptized? What prevents him from being baptized? Philip answers. If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He put his faith in Christ. He confessed Christ as Lord and Savior. Baptism follows belief. Baptism follows a decision in your heart, inwardly, to follow Christ. And then you get baptized. The people being baptized today have all accepted Jesus Christ into their heart as Lord and Savior. They want to live their life for him. That's when you get baptized. And he answered, he says, I believe. And so he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water and Philip as well as Eunuch and he baptized him. They went down into the pool at the oasis and there they had a two-person baptismal ceremony. It might have been a camel there. I don't know what they pulled chariots with, but 
just Philip and, 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 and the Ethiopian eunuch there. And it was kind of an interesting baptism because it says that when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. The eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way, what? Rejoicing. Can you imagine? You're out in the desert, you're reading the scripture, you don't understand it, you have this hunger for God. All of a sudden, this weird guy's running alongside your chariot and... Uh, you know, he says, you know what you're reading? I don't know, unless somebody tells me. Well, come on in, you can tell me. And he shares the gospel with him. He accepts Christ as Lord and Savior. Now he wants to get baptized, and there's an oasis. They pull up there, they get down in the water. Philip takes him and puts him under the water and brings him up. And as he comes up, he's excited, he's rejoicing, but he looks around and Philip's gone. The guy just disappeared. It's the same word they use for rapture. He's just caught away. We don't, you know, he just, God said, okay, I'm done with you in the desert. You're gone. And that guy went out his way rejoicing. I mean, he saw a miracle. I mean, he saw a guy disappear and he also got baptized. And he, he went back to Ethiopia. And you know, Ethiopia has one of the oldest Christian churches in the world, the Coptic church. They get a lot of persecution there now. Pray for the Ethiopian Christians. And I believe it started with this Ethiopian guy going back. You won't believe what happened to me on the way back to Ethiopia on the desert. And he told the story about how he, he went to, to Jerusalem to worship. He didn't understand everything. This crazy guy came up to his chariot. He accepted the Lord. He got baptized. When I came out of the water, he was gone. So when we do the baptism of the day, if I disappear, don't worry. I'm just... <laughs> because... Philip ends up down the coast at some other little town. So. so why baptism? You know, why? What is it? Well, first thing you got to know about baptism, if I can get it, baptism doesn't save you. Um, baptism follows conversion. Baptism follows putting your faith in Christ. When you, by faith, receive Christ into your heart, the Bible says you're born again. Your sins are forgiven. You're a new creation. That happens before you get baptized. And then to make that known, baptism is a public declaration that you're already a believer and follower of Jesus. You're just saying to the whole world, what's happened in my heart, Ethiopian invited Christ in. Now I want everybody to know. And also I want to make a public stand that I'm a follower of Christ. In that early church, 3,000 people got baptized. They were saying we're followers of Jesus now. And in some places, when you make, get baptized, you put your life at risk. Some countries in the world. Because you're saying to people that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Somebody said it's kind of like uh, a wedding ring. If I can get this thing to click forward. Oh. Baptism is like a wedding ring. It's an outward symbol. Click one more way. Baptism is like a wedding ring. It's an outward symbol of a commitment you already made in your heart. So you commit yourself to your husband, fiance, and you get married and you wear a wedding ring to show everybody that you've made that commitment. Baptism is the same thing. You get baptized to publicly declare that you're a follower of Christ and to show your obedience to his command to be baptized. We wouldn't be doing baptism if Jesus didn't ask and command us to go out and make disciples, baptizing them. And so that baptism is a public declaration. 
But why baptism by dunking? You know, some groups do sprinkling and they have a little different meaning, but well, why by dunking? Most evangelical churches do it by dunking. Um, why be baptized by dunking? Because Jesus was. Scripture says as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And he's our example to follow. He was baptized not because he became a follower of himself, but to fulfill all righteousness, he, he said, and to set an example by John the Baptist. And so Jesus was baptized by immersion. He came up out of the water. You can't come up out of the water unless you go down into the water, right? <laughs> Every baptism in the Bible was by dunking that we can find. Of Philip, you know, an Ethiopian, when the Ethiopian came up out of the water, Philip was gone. Why baptism by dunking? The word baptize means to put under water. Baptize, put under water. In fact, the Greek word, from the Greek word, anybody see that movie, The Big Fat Greek Wedding? The guy always loved to quote Greek. In the Greek, well, baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip or immerse underwater. So there's pretty good reason for doing it by dunking. And some of the early uh, church folks like Martin Luther said this, I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed as the word imports and the mystery signifies. Not to be left out, John Kelvin said, the word baptized signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was a practice of the ancient church. They've been doing this for 2,000 years, and we're continuing it on here this morning. Why baptism by dunking? Probably because it best symbolized the meaning of baptism. You know, the, the bread symbolizes his body, the, the cup symbolizes his blood. In baptism, there's symbolism too. And by going on the water, it best fulfills that symbolism. What is the meaning of baptism? What is that symbolism? It illustrates Christ's death and resurrection. For when you were baptized, you were buried with Christ in baptism. You also, in baptism, you were also raised with Christ. It's a perfect picture story, isn't it? Someone stands in the water and they go under and you were buried with Christ, dying to that old self, dying to that old nature, and then you were raised up with Christ, and it's an illustration of his death and resurrection. Under the water, death coming up, raised with Christ. A perfect illustration. It illustrates our new life as a Christian. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live what? A new life. See, baptism isn't just a religious ritual. It's a declaration that we're a follower of Christ, that we've been born again, that we are a new creation. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So when we get baptized, we're saying to the world, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation. I have a new life. 
And positionally, when you accept Christ, you become a new creation, you have a new life. But practically, how many struggle with that new life? We do, because we're not perfect. But baptism challenges us to live out that new life. We go down and we die to self. I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I, but it's Christ in me. And I come up a new creation in Christ Jesus. And in that new creation, then we're challenged to live that new life out. Because we just said publicly, I'm a follower of Jesus. And now the challenge is by the grace of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is to live that life out. Because if we go under the water and come up and we are, we're the same, or if we commit our life to Christ and we're the same, then God, we're not allowing God's spirit to work in our heart. So baptism is that moment when we die that old life and walk in newness of life. And we lay aside things like criticism. We lay aside things like gossip. We lay aside things like being offended. Because we're a new creation. The Bible says... Nothing shall offend them who love the law of the Lord. So we live in a new realm of relationship with one another. We extend grace to one another. We love one another. There's really a new way to be human. And the first step is receiving Christ. And baptism is, I'm living a new life in Christ. And I'm going to, by God's grace, not judge you, but love you, not condemn you, not be offended, not be spreading words that aren't right, but only letting words that minister grace. So it's really about a change. That's a big thing. It's about a change. And it begins, the moment you accept Christ, it begins to work in you, and the baptism is just another step that illustrates I'm a new life in Christ. I'm going under the water, dying to that old life, coming up a new life in Christ. And that's why many times when people come out of the water, they're just raising their hands. I'm alive in Christ. Go in all the world. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what the early church did. Those 3,000 people came out of that water that day and they went out and changed the world. Literally within 300 years, the whole known world had heard about the gospel because lives had been changed. Because if lives aren't changed and baptism is just another ritual, if lives aren't changed through a relationship with Christ, then we're no different than the world. But you are different than the world. You've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness, brought into the kingdom of light. And when we are baptized, we're standing as a new creation in Christ with a message to share, a love to share. And God, by his grace, helps us to do that.